Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 85 of WFS, The Will Ford Show. Terrific to be in on a Thursday evening as we get ready for some Thursday night football between the Arizona Cardinals and the San Francisco 49ers, the undefeated 49ers. The World Series wrapped up last night, Game 7. I'm going to talk about that. Trade deadline just passed in the NFL as well. And then we'll wrap up the show with some prime time predictions. But let's dive into episode 85. The Washington Nationals win Game 7 of the World Series 6-2 over the Houston Astros. And it's DC's first World Series championship since 1924 when they were known as the Washington Senators. It's been a very long time, and it's the first time that Washington's been to the World Series since 1933. So, But this series was really interesting to me and because, obviously, you come in with this, this pitching battle. You have Garrett Cole, Zach Greinke, and Justin Verlander on the Houston side. And on the national side, you have Max Scherzer, Steven Strasburg, and Patrick Corbin, all six of them all-star starters. And you would think that, I mean... Th- this series would just be dominated by pitchers. But what was crazy was neither team won a home game in this series. Every game that was won was won by the road team. So the first two games of the series went to the Nationals. They dominated, stole the home field advantage away. Then the next three games in Washington, the Astros win three consecutive games at Nationals Park. They take a 3-2 series lead. And then as I predicted, the Nationals would go back to Houston, win Game 6, force a Game 7. I believe I predicted Houston to win in 7. But the Nationals, they were down 2-1 late. In the 7th inning, they were down 2-1. And you get home runs from Anthony Rendon and uh, Howie Kendrick. And all of a sudden, they turn this around. Juan Soto, who just turned 21, he hits an RBI single, and they stretch this lead to 6-2. to two. And then the, the the bullpen for the Nationals got it done, and they closed it out. It was really quite special, quite amazing. And it's really incredible because this Nationals team was 19-31 and 31 in the month, not just in the month of May, but after May, their record was 19-31. and 31. And they turned it around. Flipped the script, made it to the wild card, and advanced all the way to the World Series and messed around and won the thing. To think Bryce Harper left this Nationals team back in March, before spring before spring training, he left this team and went and joined a NL East rival, the Philadelphia Phillies, and the Phillies didn't even make the playoffs. Just think about it. The Nationals, they may not have been better right away without Bryce Harper, but they found a way to rally back, get to the playoffs, and win it. I mean, they they even messed with... They contemplated trading Max Scherzer in the middle of the season because the season was going so poorly. And now look where they are. Max Scherzer pitching last night for the Nationals. He went five innings, gave up seven hits, but only allowed two runs so the two runs scored by Houston were given up by him. He got stronger as he, the deeper he pitched, he got stronger, had three Ks, did have four walks. He did struggle a little bit towards the, the end, right there in that fifth inning when they pulled him. But then Patrick Corbin comes in in relief. He only gives up two hits, 
no runs, pitches for three innings, and then Hudson comes in the last inning, three up, three down, two strikeouts, and they ended on a strikeout. Just, that's a perfect way to end a World Series and win a championship, and it's the first it's the first championship in franchise history because the Nationals moved to Washington in 2005. And there you go. And now home teams in the World Series, after that Game 7, they're now 9 of their last 13 in Game 7s with the loss last night by the Astros, and they're 19-21 and 21 overall. But that's crazy to me that neither team won a home game in this series. But the even crazier thing last night was the manager for the Houston Astros said that Garrett Cole would be available to come in and relieve Zach Greinke whenever they pulled him, if they needed to pull him. And when Zach Greinke started struggling, they didn't go to Garrett Cole. They didn't go after, They didn't warm him up and bring him in. And if you look at what he did in Game 5, Game 1 he got lit up pretty good. He gave up 8 hits in 7 innings, 5 earned runs, 2 homers, but then you look at game five. He went seven innings strong, only gave up three hits, one earned run, and that was off of a solo shot. Nine strikeouts. One of those strikeouts came by way of his fastball, which is arguably his best pitch. And he was just dominant, and that was en route to a 7-1 to one victory in game five. Capping off that three-game streak the Astros put together late in the series to take control of it. I don't know why you don't bring Garrett Cole into the matchup when the season's on the line. It's game seven. It doesn't matter at this point. You use everybody you have and you use your best people. Garrett Cole, so good. Don't know why you wouldn't bring him in. I know he's he's a starting pitcher, but so what? It's all the same. It's, it's all the same. I don't know why they wouldn't have brought him in. It didn't make much sense to me. And... I don't know, but congrats to the Nationals, man. First World Series championship in Washington, D.C. since 1927 when they were known as the the Washington Senators. Excuse me, 1924. And it's the first one in Nationals history since they moved to Washington in 05. But neither team winning a home game. Crazy to me. But trade deadline mayhem now shifting to this in the NFL. Week 8 always symbolizes the the mayhem that is the trade deadline. A lot of rumors swirling around, especially now more than ever with like this player empowerment. It's really spread across all four major sports in a sense. It's certainly most prominent in the NBA, but now we see it in the NFL with guys wanting to be traded, holding out for contracts and things like that. But most of... This year's trade trading deadline was it was all rumors really. We we knew about Trent Williams, the left tackle for the for the uh, I almost said the Nationals, the Washington Redskins. He how he's been holding out the whole year. He wants out of Washington. He doesn't. I guess he just doesn't have trust within that organization anymore. And I thought the Browns would be the best spot for him. Maybe you mess around, trade Odell Beckham Jr. away and figure out what you can do to to improve the offensive line for Baker Mayfield. But Trent Williams ended up staying put. Washington was very firm and I think stingy on this one. They I think this was a mistake because I don't he's not going to sign there. He's not going to play. 
but he ends up staying put in Washington. Jamal Adams and Le'Veon Bell, I mean, the Jets, I think, were trying to conduct a fire sale with all of their best their best players. Le'Veon Bell just signed a, a, a lucrative deal in the summer, and they're already wanting to trade him away. And I know he hasn't been that productive this season, but the Jets aren't a great team. I don't know what more you can expect out of Le'Veon Bell. The Chiefs and the Texans were teams swirling around that there were there was interest in Le'Veon Bell. I think, personally, I think the Jets should have traded Le'Veon Bell just because I don't favor putting high price tags on running backs, especially running backs who are getting closer to 30. I believe Le'Veon Bell is 27, maybe 28. He's getting closer. Still all talented, super good. But that price tag scares me at that age. What I would have done if I were the New York Jets is traded Le'Veon Bell away and just get as much draft compensation as you can. Get a first, for sure get a first, and then get, I don't know, maybe a third or a fourth or whatever you got to do. But you take that first-round pick and you go out and get a receiver in the draft. Get a C.D. Williams from Oklahoma. Uh, Get a Jerry Judy from Alabama. I mean, both of those guys have pretty much the same frame around 6'1", 6'2", a buck 90. C.D. Williams, much more explosive, has 11 touchdowns on the year with Oklahoma, uh, while Judy, I believe, has eight. But both of them super, super good. And I, if I were the Jets, I would have went after one of those guys because I think it's far more important in this league to have a number one wide receiver than it is to have a number one running back. And that has all been proven by Jerry Jones and Stephen Jones trading for Amari Cooper from the Oakland Raiders last year, bringing him to Dallas because it has made Dak Prescott a better player, made the, made the offense better, and the Cowboys are a great team as a result. That's what I would have done if I were the Jets because they don't have that true number one. They have Robbie Anderson, but he's inconsistent. Jamison Crowder is not a number one. He's a slot receiver. They don't really have that true number one who's a great route runner, great hands, has some speed, can take over games, draws all the attention. They don't have any of those guys. They have Le'Veon Bell who constantly gets stuffed because they just load the box on him. That's what I would have done if I were the New York Jets. Just get rid of Le'Veon Bell's contract, bring in some draft compensation. Maybe you get a couple younger players or something, but you go out and get a receiver in the draft. Now, trading Jamal Adams away, their starting safety, their their star safety, who was drafted number six overall a couple years ago, that would have been a mistake. If if, If I'm the Jets, that's a mistake. He is an absolute monster on the back end. And he's still on a rookie deal, too, so you're not even paying him hardly anything. Well, first-round picks make a lot, but compared to what you know, guys like Earl Thomas make, you're not paying him anything. He is a guy to build around on the defense. He is a guy that you need to build around. He's a building block that can make your defense great. I know the Jets traded away Leonard Williams as well. They traded Leonard Williams away to the Giants. That's a big piece that's gone, a big pass rusher. I don't know why the Jets wanted to get rid of everybody. I'm not sure why. And trying to trade Jamal Adams, I don't think, was smart. Lucky for them, they were able to keep him. Dallas was the one team that was interested in Jamal Adams or the most interested, as far as I read and saw, If I were the Dallas Cowboys, I wouldn't have paid too much, but I certainly would have 
made a better attempt to go out and get him. I think the Jets wanted two first-round picks for Jamal Adams, similar to what the Rams gave up to get Jalen Ramsey in Los Angeles. I wouldn't have given up two first-round picks. I don't think there's many. there are very many players in this league that are worth two first-round picks. Maybe, maybe Jalen Ramsey, definitely Aaron Donald, and Khalil Mack was traded for two first-round picks, so probably Khalil Mack. He's been sensational. But if I'm the Dallas Cowboys, I'm not trading two first-round picks for Jamal Adams. I would trade a first and a second, not in the same year, but I would trade a first for next year and then trade a second for 2021, 100%. But I'm not trading two consecutive first-round picks away. I, I just can't do that. I can't do that to my franchise because the Dallas Cowboys are, are historically, over the past 10 to 15 years, the best drafting franchise in football. And to take away two first-round draft picks when historically they've been fantastic in the first round, that would be a mistake, even though you're getting Jamal Adams out of it. That's just one player, and Dallas, who is great at finding guys in the draft, and especially in the first round, you could potentially have two great players instead of just the one. Smart on Dallas's part not to go all-in, but I think they could have negotiated a little bit better with the Jets and tried to see if maybe you can give up a little less. Uh, But the only trade that was made on deadline day was Aqib Tlaib, starting corner for the Los Angeles Rams, who I believe was actually on the IR. They traded him away to the Miami Dolphins, him and a fifth-round pick, and then the Rams will receive a future pick. I know exactly what this is for the Rams. The Rams are freeing up cap space to be able to sign Jalen Ramsey to a long-term contract so this was just a salary dump and Aqib Tlaib is off the books this year anyway so I'm not sure why the Rams felt the need to do it now because they just could have waited until the offseason unless they want to get a deal done as soon as possible then that makes sense but Aqib Tlaib could have came back late in the season for this Rams team and you know been a valuable part of the defense and could have helped them make another Super Bowl run but if it's a salary dump and you're trying to sign Jalen Ramsey as fast as possible in order to keep him happy, then by all means, it's a good move. For the Miami Dolphins' sake, I think it's fine as well. If he had still had a couple years left on his deal, it wouldn't have made any sense because Miami is rebuilding. They're not trying to win games right now. They're trying to tank for that number one pick and go get Tua Tagovailoa or whoever, Trevor Lawrence, whoever it is. You don't want a player like that who's on the books for a couple of years eating up space on your roster. But luckily, he's off the books off after this year. They'll get rid of that salary anyways. And, I mean, they got a fifth-round pick out of it. That's another draft pick for the Miami Dolphins, who I believe have 15 draft picks this season. And... They have five first-round picks in the next two drafts. That's huge for this franchise. And in a couple of years, this Miami Dolphins team is going to look a lot different. They're going to be extremely talented, and they're going to be really good, depending on who they draft, obviously, and if none of them turn out to be busts. But it it would be very difficult to mess up five first-round draft picks. It would be very difficult. And who knows, maybe you can even... Use those as trade chips, not all of them. Maybe use one or two of them to go out and get a couple 
big time players. Maybe you go out and get a wide out. You go out and get an offensive tackle. You go out with they just traded away Laramie Tunzel, but they got they got compensation in return. But they they go out and get a, a pass rusher, something, some kind of star player, and then you use the other four, three or four draft picks to go and and get these first round talented guys. Miami Dolphins are actually doing something really smart because they're tanking for Tua or or whatever quarterback they please. And then you're going to have four four more first-round picks over the next two years, plus all this money that you're going to free up. I, I like the move for the Dolphins, too. I think both sides benefited as long as the Rams get the deal done with Ramsey ASAP, as soon as possible. If the Rams don't get a deal done with Ramsey until after the season's over, then you just gave up a, a fifth-round pick for nothing. Because you were going to free up that salary anyways at the end of the year. You might as well have just kept your first your fifth round pick. So as long as the Rams do that deal now with Jalen Ramsey, because I'm sure they're probably fearing he won't sign long term. That's the problem is the, the Rams should have made sure a deal was in place, give themselves the leverage before trading for Ramsey from the Jacksonville Jaguars. So they said... We agreed to the deal in principle, but we're not going to click submit yet because we want to make sure that Ramsey's going to sign with us long term. And until he does, you have a deal. That's what they should have done, and they didn't. And that put that puts Ramsey now in the power position. The Rams could have just traded away two first-round picks, and Ramsey could be out the door here after the season. Could play half a season in L.A. and then be out the door. So what do you do? You've got to get the deal done now to validate trading away two first-round picks and also trading away Aqib Tlaib, who you could have kept to help you make a playoff run, and then you would have been able to free up that $5 million anyways. So, But all in all, a very entertaining trade deadline week, although not much movement happened. It was very entertaining just to sit there and watch. I was watching my phone for an entire hour the other day, I believe on, what was it, Tuesday? Yeah, just following these trades and seeing what was going to go down. You know for sure I was watching Shefty, Adam Schefter. (laughs) You know it. Let's look at now some primetime predictions for this week. I haven't done these in a while. Been a long time since I've looked at some primetime predictions. I don't even know what my record is. Maybe we'll start right now and we'll try to keep track of it. And I need to just do it in a tweet every single time, even if I can't do an episode. Keep tracking tweets. But anyways... Tonight on Thursday Night Football, the San Francisco 49ers undefeated at 7-0, taking on Kyler Murray and the Arizona Cardinals in Arizona. 49ers moved to 8-0. This 49ers defense, Nick Bosa, right now probably in line for Rookie of the Year. Definitely Defensive Rookie of the Year. I think they split them Offensive and Defensive Rookie of the Year. But Nick Bosa had three sacks last week against the Carolina Panthers, and had an interception. He was a monster. This defense is real, and Tevin Coleman, the running back they, they just signed from the Atlanta Falcons this year, has been on a tear. He just had just He's coming off a four-touchdown week. And Jimmy Garoppolo, coming off of that ACL injury, we haven't really seen what he can do with this 49ers team, and now we're seeing it. He is much more comfortable now playing like a Patriot and he looks good, and this 49ers team looks good. Granted, now they haven't played a lot of super tough teams, 
So it's going to be interesting to see when they take on some of these top-tier NFC teams and when you take on a a top team in the AFC, how they're going to fare. Because they do have one of the weaker schedules because they weren't as good last year. They didn't have Jimmy G last year. May not be as good as we think they are based on who they've played. But right now they look absolutely incredible and unstoppable. And I think Jimmy G... Tevin Coleman, Nick Bosa, and the 49ers will get it done tonight against the Arizona Cardinals. Looking at Sunday now, the Packers taking on the Chargers. Chargers have really been struggling this year, and I fear it's the end of the Phillip Rivers era for the Chargers. Phillip Rivers is one of my favorite quarterbacks all time, the best trash-talking quarterback in NFL history and he's not playing very well. And the Chargers usually get off to a slow start, but this year it's been very slow. Slower than in years past. And although there's still a chance for them to make the playoffs, be a wild card team, they've struggled. And I feel like after this year, the Chargers may move in a different direction at quarterback. You might see Phillip Rivers hang it up and go hang out with his 16 children. That's an exaggeration. He doesn't have 16, but he's got a lot of kids. And... I think the Packers are going to win this one. It's in L.A. Aaron Rodgers and, and the Packers, they have been so good this year, so dominant. They're 7-1. and one. And right now, I just don't think there's anybody that can stop the Packers. They look like the best team, and one of, if not the best team in the NFC. I would say the 49ers right now look the best. Then you put the Packers right there with the Saints as they just got Drew Brees back. But now looking at the next game, The Browns at the Broncos. This was a scary one for me. I was talking about this in the last episode. The next two weeks for the Browns, it could be very scary because they sit right now at 2-5. and And they could very easily lose this game against the Denver Broncos. They're in the Mile High City. It's a tough place to play. If not, it's probably the toughest with the, the air pressure and things like that. I think the Browns are going to lose this football game, and I think Baker Mayfield's going to look a little bit more like Mark Sanchez again, and not prime Mark Sanchez, if there ever was a prime Mark Sanchez. And then the week after that for the Browns, they're playing the Bills. That's another tough one. They could find themselves sitting at 2-7, and and they would have to really run the table to, to make a run at this thing and get into the playoffs. It would be really interesting. But I got the Broncos over the Browns in the Mile High City. Next game, probably the best game of the weekend, Patriots at Ravens. Patriots are undefeated on the year. The Ravens have looked really good on defense. They're a top three defense in this league. Lamar Jackson has been sensational for the most part. This is going to be the Patriots' toughest test to this point in the year. Baltimore Ravens are going to get it done. And the Ravens, they can put up points with the best of them. When Patrick Mahomes is healthy, the Ravens can put up points with the Chiefs. The Ravens can win in a shootout. The Patriots can't. And because the Ravens can put up a lot of points and they have a good defense and they can hold Tom Brady to not that many points, I think the Ravens are going to win this one. It may not be convincingly, but I think they're going to win by probably 10 points. And then the final game, and that is a Sunday night game, by the way. And then the final game, Monday night, the Dallas Cowboys traveling 
to New York to take on the Giants. Daniel Jones finally coming back to earth, like I said. Everyone was praising this kid. I mean, for good reason. He had a couple good weeks, but he wasn't playing anybody good. And now he's kind of finally come down. He's playing better than Baker Mayfield, if that is consolation for anything. But the Cowboys going to be the Giants. The Cowboys are finally back on track. They beat their division foe, the Eagles, last week very convincingly, 37-10. to They're finally back on track, and they'll keep it going against the Giants. And they're right there in that Super Bowl bubble, I feel like. They're not up there with the Packers and the Saints and the 49ers, but... You know, they're they're in that bubble. They're on the right on the edge of that bubble, just on the inside of it. Whereas those other teams, they're in the center. But that is it for episode 85 of WFS The Will Ford Show. Thank you for joining me here on this Thursday evening. Appreciate you sticking with me through it all, through thick and thin. And right now it's been it's been very thin. But Uh, Be sure to check me out on WMCO 90.7, Muskingum University's campus radio station. Uh, If you're in the New Concord area, New Concord, Ohio, listen on 90.7 FM. And if you're not from this area, you don't live in this area, listen on orbitmediaonline.com. Just go to the Listen Live link and check me out. Muskie Sports Blast weekdays, 8 to 8.30. You can catch me on Saturdays for for Muskingum football at 1.30. Tons of great stuff, and you'll probably see me next week as well covering some of the Skangam Volleyball. So it's fantastic stuff. Thank you for joining me in episode 85, and we'll see you in episode 86. This is WFS, The Will Ford Show.